the Beatles were going their way and, and Brian was going his. And they were kind of looking over their shoulder and seeing what was coming up on the outside rail. They wanted to do rather more outrageous things. There were so many aspects of the Smile album and the elements and, and all the things that made up the record that he just, uh, he had to, to just let it go. Because it came at a time when Brian was just really finding it difficult to stay focused. He wasn't getting any enjoyment out of it. It wasn't fulfilling him, it was painful. So uh, we made Smiley smile instead. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Sail On Podcast. This is Wyatt, and I am in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm doing just fine, and I hope everyone listening is as well. Thank you guys for spending part of your day with me. Also, thank you for everyone that joined in with our 88-song tournament on our Instagram page. It was a lot of fun. Thank you to Ricky Rochelle for putting that together for us. Um, God Only Knows was the champion, and it crushed every tune in its path, and that surprises absolutely no one. But it was a lot of fun because there were some really cool surprises along the way, and I got a lot of great feedback from you guys. Uh, Thank you guys again. Today we are going to continue our look at the Smile Sessions, particularly with Heroes and Villains, but I wanted to start things off today with a very nice voicemail. Hi Wyatt, my name is David Joyce. I am a New York State Corrections Officer in Buffalo, New York, and I can't stress enough of how much I want to thank you for operating your Beach Boys podcast. Um, Obviously, uh, with the stress of the job, and especially this year with all the, uh, the chaos and going on in the world, it's definitely taken a toll on myself and, uh, all my brothers and sisters in arms and I just want to say thank you again for uh, almost providing me an outlet of anything and everything Beach Boys related. I've been a huge fan since I was uh, about five years old and uh, I recently just discovered your podcast within the past couple days so I've been divulging into all the episodes from uh, from the beginning there. Um, so keep up the great work. I, uh, I thank you again for at least shedding some love in the world during the, uh, the turmoil that ensues us. But thank you again. I look forward to listening to the rest of the uh, podcast, and I can't wait to see uh, what else is in store in the future. But uh, stay on, Jay Guru Dev, and love and mercy, my friends. Take care. David, that warms my heart. Thank you for listening. Thanks for calling in. Obviously, this year is unusual, to say the least. So it really does help to have those creature comforts, especially the Beach Boys music. I know a lot of us have relied on that love and mercy to get us by. And uh, thank you also for being a patron of the show. Um, I know that times are tough right now. 
So I really appreciate all of you guys for supporting us. It keeps the show advertisement free, and it's a great way to get extra content, which is awesome. And I want to give a shout out to some of our newest patrons. Pete Needle, Ricky Miller, Ruben Tarrant, Andrew Brandt, Stav Stadlin, I hope I said that right, and the great Beach Boys Legacy. If you don't know about Beach Boys Legacy, head over to Twitter, at Beach Boys Legacy. It's a fantastic page. Daily updates, lots of cool dates in history, and interesting facts about the Beach Boys. Thank you all. And head to patreon.com slash sailon for more info. We love you! We left off last time talking about heroes and villains on December 13th uh, in Columbia Studios. So we're doing vocals, of course. This is likely the vocal session that Michael Vossi referred to in Teen Set magazine. He says, the Beach Boys are back from Europe. Thanksgiving has just passed and an awesome recording session faces them. The new album Smile and the new single Heroes and Villains must be completed by Christmas Day. Mike Love, Carl Wilson, and Al Jardine huddle around one of the big playback speakers at Columbia Records Studio A. Twelve takes on one small section of background vocals for Heroes and Villains have just been completed. Mike is not quite satisfied with his singing on a few bars. They go back into the studio. Over and over, they re-record the difficult and complex harmony pattern until it is perfect. Then Brian takes them to the piano and teaches them more background to be overdubbed. Carl has an idea and goes to the microphone alone, laying in a lovely and funny little riff behind the choral effect. The Beach Boys and their producer work very well together. They are tuned to one another, and it shows up in the music. All right, let's bring in Will Crera and John Brody. Welcome back, guys. How are you? Hey, pretty good. Thank you for being here. I have no idea what I'd be doing right now without you guys. But <laughs> Me neither. I don't know what you'd be doing like. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and all our, all our listeners are thankful too. Trust me. Oh, they um, okay. And um, so, hey, John, what exactly are they laying down right here? It sounds like a pretty intense vocal session. Yeah, so these are the uh, backing vocals to the main verse on Heroes and Villains. These are different from the vocals in the final mix, so these aren't in the one on the Smile Sessions or on Smiley Smile, but it's basically four layers of vocals. So you have all six of them singing just ahs over the top, and then above that you have that crazy six-part backing vocal arrangement, which is just a bunch of different melodies on top of each other, and uh, there's a great quote from Al about it. Heroes and Villains at the start was one of the first songs we ever did, really early on, even before we recorded Surfin'. We were working on that song way back in 61. Well, the idea, not the song. We became instruments for Brian's barbershop concept. He said, let's all do this. Let's sing this idea. Carl would be one instrument. I'd be another. Mike would be another. So we started singing a cappella first because we didn't play instruments. With none of us being players, we would just scat in the car, going to a show or something, or going to school, anywhere. Let's now go to December 19th. We're back at Western Studio 3. Hal Blaine, Bill Pittman, and a large 14-man string section, led by Sid Sharp, featured a whopping six cellos. But there really wasn't anything to show for it because no tapes remained. 
That is until 2012, when some acetates belonging to Van Dyke's ex-wife, Derry Parks, were found in her storage locker and sold off to auction. A member of SmileySmile.net, known only as Andy, had a chance to hear these discs. So he heard some acetates, and it turns out that there was a new arrangement of I'm in great shape that was very different from the versions in circulation. So, Will, you're thinking that this is the December 19th session? Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it's the one that matches like, the instrumentation. Oh. So we were able to hear a bit of this, um, and it was kind of sneaky because Mark Lynette was able to listen to it once, um, the engineer who worked on the Smile Sessions in 2011. Um, and he actually got his phone out in time to capture a short fragment uh, when he realized that it was something that he had never heard before. So they looped his sneaky little phone message into the 2018 version of Child is Father of the Man on the Wake the World sessions. So that's what leads us to believe that this is the match for the December 19th session. That was a mystery before now. These acetates were auctioned off. So someone has probably a, a better sounding copy that was also like digitally transferred. But Oh yeah, and the in the auction it said that part of it was um a digital transfer came with it, so these exist as files huh. that someone has. Someone out there. Well, <clears throat> if you're listening, send us those files. Please. <laughs> we're we're <laughs> Please. trustworthy. They, uh, it's it's really it's really crazy. Like they went through um, all the acetate stuff. They auctioned the they auditioned like everything that anybody had in the inner circle, like before the smile sessions. And then one year after the smile sessions happened, these things just appeared, and it was like, oh come on, really? That sucks. <laughs> We've got part of it. Thanks, Mark. One day, maybe. I don't know. It's kind of exciting to me that there's still stuff out there that we know of that exists that you know that we don't have. One can dream. That track list that's there isn't a date for that track list that's given over to Capital that goes in the back cover that's got I'm in great shape on it separate to Heroes and Villains, but this is like after it and it's Heroes and Villains session. So again, I'd yeah. It's one of the it's one of these other things I don't have any answer for, but you know, maybe he was going back and forth about whether he wanted it in the song or if it was gonna be its own thing. December to the first half of January is just a complete mystery to to everybody and especially to me. In the for the for, for the Byron Price uh, official, you know, authorized biography in the seventies, it was a MIU. They asked Brian some questions about Smile, and we haven't been given the context for any of these questions really. It's just some some answers floating in void, and so I'm not really sure what Brian was responding to. But there's one of them where he mentioned something called the Barnyard Suite, where which was going to be, in Brian's words, um, four short songs in four sections like stringed together, but they didn't finish it they got onto something else and on the december tracklist thing there's i'm in great shape is listed as one of the songs which has always been kind of a mystery and van dyke said something about um heroes and villains with great shape and barnyard how brian decided not to use them but put them in another song somewhere else so we, we kind of think that maybe you know once great shape and barnyard were dropped from heroes they were going to become part of this 
barnyard sweep idea thing with four short tracks and that's what the great shape on the tracklist would have been you know not not like a reworking of great shape as like a full song it was just a name for this overall barnyard sweep thing and i you know yeah we would <laughs> we don't have any idea what that would have been it would have obviously included the two barnyardy hero sections that got cut out but um yeah i mean there's no way to to prove this or anything because this is not something that he ever actually worked on past heroes and villains but it's something that we think he was thinking of doing at one point but just never got around to and they did that kind of on the 2004 one where they segued barnyard into mindly sunshine and then they took that further in 2011 where like great shape goes in a barnyard that goes into sunshine then you've got the sunshine fade there and it's you know it's four sections and four mini songs and I don't think Brian was going to do that. I mean, maybe. I don't know. But I would have done that in 67, just to get that done. <laughs> I think it's a really cool idea, and I wish that was like sort of small canon, that little medley. We're nearing the end of 1966, and there's one more barnyard session that we're not quite sure of the date, but it's Brian by himself doing a two-part backing vocal. On Christmas Eve, Paul Williams, who was a friend of David Anderley and also the editor of Crawdaddy Magazine, was in town to check up on the Beach Boys and Brian. They went to dinner, and then he says, Later that day, we went to a recording studio. I have two vivid memories of that part of my visit. One was Carl Wilson playing a 45 on a turntable somewhere in the studio. He just bought it and was eager to hear it because he had fallen in love with this record, Give Me Some Lovin' by the Spencer Davis Group during the Beach Boys' recent visit to England. He talked it up on the assistant engineer who was helping him with the turntable, and then he was horrified by what he heard. The American record company had remixed the song, and to Carl's ears, they had ruined the magic. He grabbed the record off the turntable, broke it over his knee, and stomped on the pieces, and won my heart since I was already a big fan of the little-known Spencer Davis group. I just had to like the guy who cared enough about good music to get angry when it was messed with. The other memory, vivid but kind of fuzzy, is of Brian getting us to come into the large studio room where people usually play music. But he just wanted us to get down on the floor and make interesting noises, some kind of grunt. I don't remember now if I actually grunted or if I just left that to the um, professionals. Mostly I just remember the moodiness of being in that dark room on the floor, hearing each other make these simple but resonant sounds. Gloriously weird. And then someone came to take me back to my motel, and my Christmas Eve visit with Brian and the Beach Boys was finished. So this is listed as animals, but I don't know. To me, it sounds more like demons in hell or something like that. It's really <laughs> evil yeah. sounding and kind of dark. And Yeah, this, so apparently this, this thing, it matches his description that they did it in, in December and then Brian must have re revived the tape and spliced it on later. Um, so you didn't go through and figure out who was making what noise, did you? Oh, no, I haven't done that yet. Okay, okay. Not yet. It is okay, the Beach great. Boys. <laughs> <laughs> it is the Beach Boys. I need to figure out if Paul Williams, <laughs> I need to figure out if Paul Williams is there. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Al is the one who says Swedish Frog, but beyond I that... I thought it was Carl, it's just, but, you know, I haven't listened uh, to this in depth. Another thing is, it's not just a, a random tape of them making noises. This is three different tracks of... Of vocals, if you can call it vocals, because mm -hmm. I because I count. Yeah, there's with, stuff with, overdubbed on top. It's at this time that we can assume Brian has moved on from the barnyard and 
I'm in great shape version of Heroes and Villains, and onto the Bicycle Rider chorus. We begin this second version of Heroes and Villains on December 27th and 28th at Columbia. But it's very vague what he did here. But we can kind of guess that he must have done, you know, the, all those bicycle rider overdubs, which were probably already meant for heroes, like at this stage. So it's already great shape is, is gone and Worms has been cut up and killed. Then he also did the first, the very first attempt at the lead vocal for the first two verses, which is on an acetate. Um, and I think it's the best, maybe until the Smiley version, the final one, I think it's the best one he did, but he just kept going. It's, it's crazy. There's like six different versions of the lead vocal for just these two verses that are one different bootleg monomixes and everything. It's, what do you think? <laughs> I think it's the best one. something about it i mean like i feel like in that one he carries the melody better than any others like they got a bit shouty yeah and after that and then the smiley one is more kind of rhythmic and it's i think that's maybe the best one after this but i really like Mm -hmm. his his performance here it just kind of you get the feeling of what he was going for with the song i know john likes the the smiley one best but i think this was (laughs) yeah this one's my second favorite though (laughs) i like this one a lot so there's one more little piece that is labeled part three. What is I'll that? Let, I'll let we John have no idea. This. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> You know, Brian has like this um, left hand slow piano thing, then like organ bass pedals and a celeste and then chimes. So it's a very, very, I don't know, it's a very sparkly, chimey thing that doesn't sound like anything, anything heroes so far, really. And it's also, there's the whole key. Right. Yeah. It's, it's in the key of E, if you can even call it that, because. Just notes. Yeah. Yeah, It's just notes. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of it is just random (laughs) notes, but it, it is a really cool sound. I like the, the way that piano and chimes and and the organ kind of blend together on this i remember hearing this on the box set and thinking that it was part of fire originally yeah i think to it they labeled it intro early version because it sounds so much like that fire intro because it's an early version of what became that fire intro even though it wasn't it wasn't for an intro and it wasn't for fire but you know it's it's really it's the same piece of music but in a different key it really would sound out of place in the middle of Heroes and Villains, especially as a single. I mean, this is just insane. To put it in, like, start it on E and end it on E and try and put it in the middle of Heroes and Villains just makes no sense anywhere. Like, you can put, do a million edits and it'll never fit. So the only thing I can think is that maybe he was thinking about speeding the tape up to the key of F, which is what, you know, the later version that became the fire intro was recorded mm-hmm. in. Okay. And maybe like that, it could have gone after Bicycle Rider. You know, it's talking about the Church of the American Indian. And suddenly there's all these bells and stuff. And I've done an edit that sounds mental, but it kind of works, kind of. And that's, but you know, there's no evidence that for any, any 
speeding up plans, and he didn't do that very often. So it's just, this is, I've, I've got, I've got nothing. Yeah, and I, I mean <laughs> that would also kind of be similar to "Do You Like Worms" because that's the bicycle rider chorus when it was part of that song went into the verse yeah. in the key of F, and then also if he was ever planning to use "Who Ran the Iron Horse" from Cabin Essence, the chorus there. I mean that's also a waltz time thing in the key of F that just sounds kind of crazy. So could have worked. Yeah, that, well, that that ascending, descending, baseline thing is kind of like the cellos. It's right, sort of a take on that. And um, yeah, so it's <laughs> a so long story short, no idea. Yeah, and it's a one-off type thing, so it may have just been a a whim. Mm. So it's, it's the only section that's ever called Heroes and Villains Part Three, which is interesting. There's <laughs> just a million part twos. So all these sessions that happened as '66 became '67. There's just a tape dated January 3rd, and it's got a ton of different sessions on it, but we know they weren't recorded that day. The engineers and musicians just don't match up, so we don't know the specific dates. And, um, you know, for Smile, that can mean, you know, a week's time is like an eternity with how fast Brian was changing and rearranging all these ideas. But um, we're going to do our best to sort this out. Yeah, and a lot of these... Most of them he didn't end up using in any of his his edits or full mixes of the song. So we're just kind of taking stabs and making guesses, but we can at least look at these just on their own as small little pieces of music. So one of the first ones here we have is called Do A Lot, which is a short little piano and vocal piece. And um, kind of the first time we hear this sleep a lot, eat a lot section that we know from Vegetables. Yeah, it's the thing from Vegetables, in the key of Vegetables as well. It's another one in E. Um, so maybe it had something to do with part three, I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's labeled Heroes and Villains on the tape box, but I think it was, you know, I, I lean towards it actually being Vegetables. And we can talk about that more when we get to Vegetables. But it's, you know, it's worth mentioning. Yeah, I mean, all these the, things. the key here in the lyrics and the fact that he later used this in Vegetables kind of suggests this was just something he was doing for another song at a session that was otherwise dedicated to heroes and villains work. So I don't really think it had anything to do with, with heroes at the time either. So next up is a pretty wild session that is appropriately titled Bag of Tricks. Yeah, there's this note on this um, AFM contract that we find out was Bag of Tricks because of the musicians that match up with it. And it says, tracking skill not, not included, recording will absolutely not be used. This was an experimental session, recording did not turn out. Um, which, <laughs> it just reminds me of, I don't know why, it reminds me of that guy who like invented the Labradoodle, and he came on saying, I've like created a monster and... It's my life's biggest regret. It's like bag of branded bag of tricks, and woke up the next day and was like, "Oh God." <laughs> hey, I have a, this police officer friend of mine said he could play a song on his uh, electric siren. Okay, here we go. You can you can, do, you can do melody with the touch tone phone too. One, two, three. Yeah, 
Yeah, so I actually figured out who's doing what on Bag of Tricks, because I'm insane. <laughs> by, by, I've put together like a table to figure out who's playing, who's talking while something isn't playing and stuff like that. Right, right. And ruling out who could be playing what, so... Um, it's Nick Palico, the percussionist guy, who's on the kibasa just going... Ch -ch 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 -ch. Brian's on some kind of like fireman's handbell thing. Al's shaking some kind of rattle, which is like... It's, I think it sounds like one of those like you know African percussion seed rattle things. Right. Bruce is playing recorder very badly. Mike's on that siren whistle thing, like like in Fire and Heroes and Villains. The um, Dennis is on a wooden train whistle. This is the thing that in the session he mentions something that's uh, Dennis playing something that's shaped like a woodblock, and then Dennis kind of demonstrates. So he's on this wooden train whistle thing. You can look them up, um, and they do look like a like a woodblock. Um, Carl's on the, the duck call thing, just making quacking noises. And then in early takes, there's these two French horn players that just do this like low drone. It's really strange. And then they gave up on that. They rehearsed this a little bit. And then Brian went back and put down a piano track, which I don't know, John, you can talk about what he's doing there because it's not. He is just literally hitting random notes just really low on the piano. <laughs> yeah, it sounds pretty cool though. And then they overdubbed all that stuff again, but with a, a without without the French horns and with a gyro this time and then they did another overdub which with different stuff even more things that <laughs> um there's there's their big bass drum there's some more there's some somebody whistling bruce plays some more recorder there's more train whistle from dennis someone's blown into a, like a glass bottle um brian and al are talking in the background and now the french horns if you isolate that track are very they are on that overdub like very 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 quiet and it's just a big like cacophony of strangeness hey listen Remember one thing, no, there's no rules to this because... Is this mic on right here? Okay. Here we go. Sounds like someone eating vegetables. One, two, one, two, three. This, this is kind of an aside, but a couple months ago, Will was like, we have to figure out bag of tricks. And I was like, okay, you know, I'll be back in an hour or so. And I came back to a message that said, you will not believe what I've been through. And it was just this big chart with all the names and all the <laughs> instruments and a bunch of X's and crosses and check marks. It, it, was, it, was, it was a low point. <laughs> Are we ready? Could we lock the outside doors of the studio, please? No, nothing coming into the studio. Anywhere. They've got to at least be two doors away from where we are now. Next, we have a little vocal riff called Mission Pack. And I'm not sure where that title comes from. The mission pack thing is is based on this like commercial jingle that was popular around Los Angeles at the time. Say the magic word, say mission pack, and it's on its merry way. No gift so bright, so gay, so right. Give the mission pack magic play. It was a well-known little jingle that was stuck in everyone's heads, and Brian took the last line of it and turned it into to this, basically. I see. One, two, one. Let's hear it. We also have Bridge to Indians. Okay, here we go. Together. Ready, set. One, two, one, two, three. I don't hear those last notes. Basically, this is like a revival of the intro to All Dressed Up for School. This is the same chord progression, same vocal arrangement right. that he's just now re repurposing. Right. 
And in some of the early takes of Bridge to Indians, they end by humming a chord, F7 chord. So Will and I kind of thought maybe this was a way to come out of the verse and transition into Bicycle Rider, which is in another key. Yeah, it makes loads of sense. I mean, it, like that whole strange key thing where Bicycle Rider just, just doesn't match heroes whatsoever. Um, this hum thing at the end of Bridge to Indians, it's called Bridge to Indians. It makes sense that it would be like a transition into Bicycle Rider. One, two, one, two, three. I think that last note, we should come out more. Okay, everybody come out on that last note. But after a few takes, Brian cut the F7 hum from the end of the piece. Yeah, that whole bicycle rider thing, it's very odd that Brian wanted, was seemed very focused on getting that to work in Heroes somehow. But it's just the key didn't work, you know. He's going from a verse in like C sharp, and then it's suddenly on this G minor thing, and it it sounds really unmusical and not like anything he'd really tried before then. And it just doesn't really work until he finally decides to do it in a key that works. Just re-record it. Okay, next is a piece called "Tagged Part One." Yeah, very 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 old title, Um, and it's just Brian on tag piano, and it's kind of similar to Wind Chimes, the tag for that. It's a similar kind of arrangement, but very very stripped back. Because there's been so many decades of debate over whether or not Brian wanted to have a two-sided single. And Cam Mott uncovered um, recently in this like obscure, um, oh, I think it might have been Disc Music and Echo, where at the end of this article that's about Harper's Bazaar, Derek Taylor left this little note saying the new uh, Beach Boys single is Heroes and Villains and it's, it's going to be two-sided. So we've just found this like now, like a few months ago, that it's been in there in the press since like 67. I, and I don't think... At this point, in like early January or whenever this was, was recorded, that there was actually a plan to have a, a part, like, you know, a two-sided Heroes single. I think that came along much later. So this tagged apart one thing. I guess, like, the only thing I can come up with is it, it means, like, it's a tagged apart one is in the verse section. And not necessarily, like, the first verse as well. It could have come after, you know, three score and five. But yeah, it's, it's an odd little one. It's just, it's similar to Wind Chimes, the tag there, but, like, in a... It's a similar arrangement with the stack keyboards, but it's a little sparser. It starts out with Brian on tack piano, then he added an electric harpsichord, which is the first time he did that. Um, that came along, obviously, he used that in the home studio at his house with Smiley Smile. It's the first time he used that instrument. And there's like a second tack piano and then some hand claps that he didn't use that you can hear on bootlegs. They go a bit out of, go a bit out of time. It didn't, isn't it like it's, it's the melody kind of sounds like uh, he's a doll by the honeys, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and... and- those other parts sound like the wind chimes tag. Like, that's just kind of the same idea, same counter melody at least. And and the chords are very similar, just kind of put in another key. And then the next one on that tape is uh, Pick Up to Third Verse, which is basically just like a much faster version of Bridge to Indians with no with, without the final part. That'll get to it. Yeah, so it's, it's it's a way to get back into Children Were Raised. It's the only thing that really makes sense. It's kind of self-explanatory what that would do. And maybe it was like replacing Mission Pack if that came first or something again because the recording audio here is a bit um, ambiguous. Like Tags Part 1 and Pick Up were from the same session because that's, you know, Jerry Hawking was the engineer and it was someone else from the others. 
So I don't know if this came. It probably came after Bridge to Indians. That 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 makes sense. Yeah, interestingly, um, this one wasn't double tracked either, which all the other ones yeah, were. Yeah, it's it's very, it's just a very quick thing. And there's that um, the you know the the Dorias tape that we talked about. The test edit structure on that w- that would go from like the verse into great shape into children were raised into another verse. I kind of you know I think the the core structure of heroes for a long time in all of these versions was similar in that you'd have like the opening verses then some kind of part two diversion like some good vibrations episode but much earlier in the song like great shape or bicycle rider or cantina or you know one of these chant things it would go into some sort of episode then come back with some transition thing into children were raised into another the third the three score and five verse and then from then is that is where we're not really sure how the song would have gone from then on there's kind of a just a gap yeah this um, whole era and, of of heroes and villains is really interesting because he wrote it originally as a song with all these different sections so it was like you said more like a compilation of different ideas than a cohesive song mm. but now he's just kind of done away with with some of those and replaced them with <laughs> different sections which even sound you know, more different from the verse because he's pulled Bicycle Rider out of out of Do You Like Worms. And I think he's trying to kind of fix that problem with all these vocal sections, but it's it's sad we don't know where, where any of these would have ended up since he never really put this version together. Yeah, and I mean, if you, however you try and put this, this version together, like doing your own edits and stuff, it never sounds like a song. Um, yeah. So that was probably the problem with it. You could look at this next batch of sessions as version three of Heroes and Villains, where some new sections are introduced, most notably the Cantina section. But we're picking up January 27th with a brand new verse lead vocal by Brian and Mike at Columbia. three different attempts at that duet thing they really try to get it right and again it's that overlap thing where the, these versions you can't really cut them off in a different you know definitively because there's um this edit with bridge to indians comes here from from that day and it's interesting as well that bridge to indians has this like compression like it sounds like an old gramophone thing i really wish they could have made that work because i think it's really cool but uh, moving on to one of our favorite pieces, this is Children Were Raised. One, two, three. My children were raised, you know they suddenly rise. They started slow and long ago, and they don't know they will be and often wise. Steve Bonilla really blew my mind when he turned me on to this song called Carry Me Back to the Lone Prairie from 1960 by the Randy Van Horn Singers. And I think you'll see the immediate influence. So this one's really interesting because it does have a piano at the end, but they started by recording the vocals. Um, So you have all six of them singing different parts. And someone's like kind of like, slapping their thigh or their chest or something to keep the rhythm um which i like but you have all six of them and then they double tracked that and then on top of that brian added that tack piano figure at the end that kind of 
plot twist, minor key sounding part. Yeah, it's 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 Brian Al and Carl and Mike who are all doing like the bomb bomb bomb, the Mr. Sandman sort of thing, which is where we think it sort of half came from. You know, I know Steve has another song that sounds like exactly like it, but I think it was probably kind of a fusion of both. It's that whole childlike children's song sort of element to it as well. So it's those four doing the, the bomb bombs kind of in harmony with each other. Um, and then Bruce and Dennis are doing this like two-part harmony sort of rising, falling, ah thing, which when they overdubbed it, they like doubled that with whistling. Um, this very sort of shrill, like I think it's pretty much everyone apart from Brian who's also doing this like scat part on top of it. They're all whistling behind him and doubling this thing, which um, again, it's, it's that cohesive thing where it links in with Whistling Bridge. It's all, it's given bits of the song a more like identifiable sound now. It's like the little sort of themes that tie them together. Um, and again, it's just another one of those things where like there's so many so many vocal parts here that fill in the role of what would be like an orchestra if this was on Pet Sounds. You know, there are so many things going on. Um, and I can't think of anything else where he's got just the whole group just whistling like up and down, up and down, that really shrill thing. Yeah, it is, it is interesting because all these parts, like you said, if it was on Pet Sounds, all these little counter melodies would be played by clarinets or strings or something but 12 string guitars and all that sort of thing yeah exactly he's just he has the same style of of writing and arranging but he's just doing it differently in the studio by just having him do it with with the rest of the beach boys vocally so along those lines we also have a piece called whistling bridge which seems to be a short transitional section featuring some group harmonies overdubbed with some group whistling, mimicking the French horn line that we know. That was better. That brings us to one of the most notable additions at this point in the Heroes and Villains saga. That is the Cantina section, um, with brand new lyrics from Van Dyke Parks. And these are the first new lyrics he's written in a long time for something Smire-related. They stand apart from pretty much everything else he's done. There's this one outlier of something new that happened in, like, the start of 67. Because Van Dyke stopped writing with Brian in, like, the start of November. When they wrote this, we're not sure whether or not Bicycle Rider was still going to be part of it. But this right. is definitely a, a replacement for Great Shape, which is gone at this point. It's a, you know, waltz time thing that comes after the first verse. It's like it's shifting the idea of what Great Shape and Barnyard were doing, which was bringing us to a new setting and just bringing that back into this old like Western cantina thing, you know, maybe to get a more unified theme to the to the song, more unified setting. Yeah. Kind of gives it some context. In the cantina, margaritas keep the spirit high. There I watched her. She spun around and round in the warmth of my body Fanned the flame of the dance Margarita, don't you know the dance? Dance You're under arrest! Well, the thing about Cantina that's interesting is Van Dyke is back in the studio with Brian by this point. Because obviously he's written the thing with him. It's the only new thing that they wrote together in 67 until, like, you know, the new Vegetables lyrics. 
but Van Dyke basically produced Brian when he's doing this, and you can also hear Brian starts to have an argument with the engineer about the sound of the piano as well. You get more of one end of the piano than you do the other end of the piano, man. Just put it all over the center, up a little higher if you want. Yeah, but I'm telling you, it don't sound good. It's you know, it's there's a lot of things that add up in these sessions if you listen to the bootlegs and extra dialogue that's not been officially released. There's like Brian starts to get you know, pissed off of the group because they're not pulling the weight and stuff and they're going to get kicked out of the studio like the hours they've booked and then there's this where Brian's arguing with the engineer who just says, no, I don't like that sound, we're not doing it and all the all these little things you can, you know, it's maybe hinting towards the, what added up to Brian getting a studio in his house he was just, yeah, you can, you can tell things aren't quite right um, at Columbia when they're recording here, but um, and yeah, again it's, this whole thing is like basically smiley smile and like not, I mean, you know, it's not Brian's Baldwin organ, it's not the teaching piano, and it's not in his house, and they're not lying on their backs and stuff, but it's the same sort of minimalism, where, like, there's no wrecking crew involved here, it's just Brian playing a piano, very simply, and then they sang over it. And, like, you think of all the things that you could do with the cantina scene, like, all the, all the arrangement ideas that you could put into that to create that image, but what Brian does is he just has a tack piano and then sings over it, and there's, like, a very a very brief mandolin two-part harmony thing at the, at the very end but that's it it's just voices and a piano and it's really paving the way to where he's going to go in a few months time already although the vocals here as well are very sparse you've just got brian and mike singing the lead together sort of bouncing off each other and then a very short kind of response part at the end which is bruce and carl bruce sounding very briany at the end they do this really cool train whistle voice thing and i think al brought this up as well how he's, he was amazed when he heard this thing and it's all of them just going woo-woo, like, but in harmony, and it sounds it sounds like a real train. It's really just incredible what he was doing with vocals at the time. Okay, who does the woo-woos? Woo-woo! And so I just decided to look. I mean, my mind just brought me to the, again, the big dance, to Chad Chucho and to Johnny Mercer's Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe. And again, it sort of fits with that Western thing, sort of a travelogue record. And, you know, California Girls is a travelogue record. I mean, it it may have contributed in, in ways we don't even, can't even, like, put our fingers on yet, you know, what he was hearing. I've been in this town, so I've been back in the city. I've been taken for a lost and gone. Even though we can talk about this as a separate version of Heroes, this is like, this is not the Bicycle Rider one anymore. There are still different, like the structure was still kind of being shifted around within this because there is, there's an empty tape box basically for some sort of mono mix for Heroes and Villains that was done on January 31st that Alan Boyd like outlined with what was on the tape and what parts were edited together. But it sounds like it fits the description of something that is bootlegged that's on Unsurpassed Masters. There are all these like monomix fragments that apparently like they don't have in the vaults. These are just on bootlegs. And that, to me, it sounds like these were what were on that tape before it went missing. And it's this 
like fragmentary. There are a few different mixes of Brian and Mike singing the leads that is trying and trying again to get it to sound right, and it doesn't. It sounds kind of weird. Brian's yelling. Mike doesn't just doesn't isn't right for it. He's singing well, but it's you know, and um, yeah, there's this mini edit that goes like the first two verses, and then the whistling bridge straight into Children Were Raised, and then that goes straight into another verse. And then it kind of breaks down, and you hear the bicycle rider thing queue up, which is interesting because it was on the tape. Like it sounds like the way the mix just stops that they didn't want to use it at this stage, but it was still on the tape. It's like this very weird hard splice from the end of the verse into, into bicycle rider with that completely different key. It's notable on that edit list as well. It says that the last thing after the third verses it says is bridge, but with like crossed out. So I think that what's referring to there is bridge being bicycle rider, and that's been like x'd out because they didn't want to use it so i think that missing so-called missing tape i think it is there i think we've heard it basically because what it says as well is it's heroes and villains first part as in like the first part of an edit and then after that cantina gets added well we think on february 3rd which is because these were all just on the same tape undated starting from january 27th added to from then on but then cantina i think comes into the picture after that and it's just a very short session with brian and his friends and he does um all day at the same time as well. One, two, three. One more, okay? That sounds wild, man. 16. One, two. So all day here, we don't actually know if this is for heroes and villains. It says it, it is on the box set, but it's basically love to say Dada. And we don't really know what the plan was for this. I mean, you can hear him talking about how he wants to have a bunch of talking in between the verses. Now in those spots, we're going to have a bunch of talking. We need all, all of us together. 26. One. Two, one, two. Yeah, this is this, this um, one of the interviews he gave. He says that he's not sure what to put on the B side of Heroes and Villains. This is like sometime in early January. Mm-hmm. And he says that he's going to do the final mix on the A side tonight, but he's not sure what to put on the B side. But maybe he'll just like, he's already tried out just him and piano as an experiment, and it might be an interesting contrast. So maybe maybe that was all day, but at the same time, it could just be a section that was was meant for heroes and villains because it's very short. Like, he doesn't get a proper takedown at any time during this. But yeah, and it's um on the smart sessions it says that one of the takes there is a master take, but it's not any of them that are included on the box set. So I don't know what's going on with that or if that's a mistake or whatever. Hey, but... maybe he was talking about bag of tricks for the B side. <laughs> That'd be something. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe who knows? Yeah, you might have a few people pulling a Carl and breaking their record over their knee if you did that <laughs> this ain't fun 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 <laughs> it went on to to have a have a second life so who knows what the original intent was right but cool track cool sound love those um love those chords um love those piano sounds so february 7th they were back in Colombia for vocals but also uh, tommy tedesco was in the house yeah, they did overdubs onto Cantina, which was most of, most of the vocals, not all of them. Um, and Tommy Tedesco came in to do a mandolin overdub as well, which is a little bit different. There's a rough mix from that day where it's missing the laughter and um, it has the woo-woo thing at the end not cut out. 
and Mike sings the opening line and the mandolin part is a little bit different and so you know Tommy Tedesco was there for like three quarters of an hour so he, they must have mixed that down and then Tommy replaced one of the mandolin parts very quickly afterwards um, and then that day like, there are some more rough mixes as well at some point here they added Al added another vocal to Children Were Raised it's this um, kind of melody thing it's not there in one of the early mixes and it's probably here that they also did that new whistling on a whistling bridge which instead of the staccato riff it's more like a free flowing sort of thing and as well maybe from this day but maybe not there is a rough mix of the Miami Sunshine fade with Brian's replacement vocals which I think we forgot to mention at some point but basically at some point Brian went back to Miami Sunshine and got rid of the group's vocals and just sang his own harmonies just two of them instead of the five part thing it's just whatever it's just what Carl and him sang and there is a rough mix that isn't doesn't go around that like um, we've managed to procure from an unnamed source um that it's that i that blew my mind because it's this this rough mono mix that has brian's new vocals but with mike still singing on it and it was assumed that brian just did like the his new sunshine fade vocals for the hero single but he must have done them much earlier when it was still my only sunshine and mike was still on it There's another mono mix as well that I think is from probably Feb 7th, along with the other Children Were Raised and Cantina rough mixes that go around, where Brian's vocal is on the fade, Mike's gone at this point, and there's like all this echoey delay on his vocal that's really cool and I wish he used it. Here's a quote from David Enderley. In one specific song, Brian wanted to sing the lead, but it was almost promised to Mike and Mike couldn't cut it the way Brian wanted it to be cut. They went through an incredible amount of time, almost a whole week of wasted studio time, before Brian finally did it. And that is almost definitely talking about heroes and villains, because there's like three different versions of Brian and Mike doing this duet thing on bootlegs, and on official, that first edit experiment. It's three different takes, and they just never got it. So that's And then Brian went and did it himself, so I'm, I'm sure that he's talking about heroes and villains there. Yeah, it's interesting that it was like it was almost promised to Mike, like maybe because they knew it was a single and um, Mike hadn't really sung on a single in a while. Um, he also doesn't have any vocals on any of the songs on Smile, like any leads. So yeah, so maybe this was just sort of an olive branch yeah. to Mike. He gets to sing on the single. It's really cool hearing them sing it with each other, but again, it just doesn't quite work. And Mike is singing it well, but he's doing it kind of weird. He's gone like, ride in the rain, like that kind of weird phrasing. And it's... Yep. Um, just the, the crossover between the two voices doesn't really work. It's very much an I song. It's not a we song. Yeah, because the lyrics the lyrics don't really make it work that way. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, so it's, it's it's a strange thing that they were trying to... I mean, yeah, how much does Mike even sing on Smile? There's that first version of not Vegetables. Not a whole lot. Yeah, there's the first version of Vegetables where he's with Brian. And that's and that's an insubstantial thing. Fade. Yeah, Mind the Sunshine, where he's like buried down right in the bottom, right at the bottom of the mix. And then Heroes, where he's like kind of promised this half lead vocal, and then he gets demoted to in the final one, just singing like the final lines with Brian in unison, and then Sonny down snuff. So it's not a good time to be Mike. Yeah, I guess um, 
until getting hungry came out, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so got that, I, th- that big I think he would have sung Barnyard. You know, if Barnyard had lead vocals, I can picture Mike being the being the farmer. <laughs> yeah. So just after that February seventh session, they did like a concert in Miami and then went on a mini tour. So then Brian finished, um, like the rest of the single by himself on February tenth, just another solo session. Where he did a lot of stuff here. Again, he replaced he replaced Mike's lead vocals, poor Mike, um, with, with his own that I really don't like. Some people love this one more than the final one. I really don't like it. He's just yelling. He sounds like like he sounds like 1988, Brian. It reminds me of some of those those early Pet Sounds mixes on the box set. Yeah, like the early, I just wasn't there for these times and wouldn't be nice where he's just yelling and it's really not nice. It's not very in tune. Yeah. And then he also, Cantina, he again, poor Mike, he replaced Mike's opening line. It's much better, to be fair. But Mike's opening line originally was a bit wonky, so Brian punched that in and left Mike to do his uh, Wound in the Warmth thing, which is great. And then Brian also did a new lead vocal for Children Were Raised, and um, then he edited together this thing that was, like for the time, apparently the final single, which was the verses, and then like an a cappella version of the verses, he just, he just copies and pastes it again, drops out all the instruments, and it's just like a, like a million voices just bouncing around each other, and then Cantina, without the, the woo-woo thing, it just... Um, cut straight into You're Under Arrest which was Gene Gaddy who was Barbara uh, Marilyn's younger sister Barbara's husband he's in the airport photo um, I pictured him, I always pictured him being like this weird old man without voice but no he's just a normal guy who's a bit sad um, <laughs> and uh, oh yeah he also did the laughter on Cantina here as well which is missing from that rough mix and it's Brian's friends because you could hear Van Dyke doing like a Van Dyke is in there doing this weird cackle if you listen really carefully um and yeah, so he does a finished version of the song. Yeah, no no chorus, no bicycle rider, and you've got the sunshine, my only sunshine fate, completely stolen from that song. What happened? Like, why was this not finished? Because there was so much pressure to finish this song. I mean, this was considered, like, finished, and he was ready to release this as the single, but then just something happened, and he got inspired to do more with it. It's just surprising to me that that Capitol would let him keep working on it at that point. It's like, Well, he's just done good vibrations, so, you know, (laughs) he can do anything. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just like they were they were pressuring them to have the album out by January, and it's like here we are in February, and he's still redoing the first single. Well, we should probably say that that this this finished version that we're talking about, um, it's part one on the two CD Smile Sessions, and it's on like the Smiley Smile Wild Honey Twofer, and it's on the Good Vibrations box set, so you can easily find it. Um, it's everywhere. Yeah, it's been released a bunch of places. And it's also like a mangled safety copy as well. The original master's gone for some reason because it's heroes and villains and everything's missing. I I don't like it nearly as much as the 
as the finished Smiley Smile single because I think just the song doesn't work as well without the the bicycle rider chorus. And it's surprised it was surprising to yeah. me when I first got into this stuff that that was from a completely different song. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a ride until it stops. <laughs> is the thing with this song. Oh, and there's also in Whistling Bridge as well, which is something he did in the mix. It's that great shape tape explosion effect where he's like looping the echo back right, in itself, yeah. or however, however he did it, and it's this cool explosion sound. But um, yeah, the, the missing thing in all of this is the final verse, like a last verse, because all of the lyrics for the song were written together in one night, like not not the bridges or anything, but all the verses. So there's this like conspicuously absent um, sunny down snuff thing and stand or fall, which don't surface on a recording until the the June smiley smile version but they we know that they were written by then so it's like why aren't they in any of these versions and i think it it's just a it's it's odd that this song doesn't have a conclusion really it just stops like towards the end and um that yeah. brings us to 5 days later when he's back in recording something called prelude to fate i think it was the start of him having doubts which he never had Like we said, Brian was uh, not satisfied with this current version of Heroes and Villains, so he's back in the studio on Wednesday, just five days later, to record a uh, very large group at Western, um, 10 string players, Van Dyke on piano, Carol Kay on guitar, three bassists, two percussionists, Tommy Morgan on harmonica, and George Hyde on French horn. And this section is known as Prelude to Fade. After God only knows this is as many musicians as he ever managed to cram into that little room wow. at Western. This is like 19, and I think God only knows was 20. <laughs> this is yeah. So this is a big session. I think the main reason he went back and recorded this is because there's an extra verse that he didn't include in that February 10th mix. Van Dyke had another verse of lyrics from back in 1966 that he just has not recorded in any way, and I think since this is basically just a variation on the verses, I think that this was going to be that verse, and it would have come at the very end of the song and kind of provided more of a conclusion to the song, because the, the version before was a little open-ended. Um, he never got around to, to doing vocals here, but you can hear him talking to Van Dyke and mentioning that there are going to be vocals. You know... I think with Don't Talk, this is Brian's best string arrangement. And there's some really cool subtle touches as well that I didn't notice this for absolutely ages. This is just like, in the middle of it, the violas do um, this, this little like rapid triplet phase kind of thing. And then the piano like responds to it, but the, the piano's so low in the mix and you don't really hear it, but there are, there's a lot going on in this. And then I love that, you know, the harmonica line and the strings ascending right to the end. It's, it's very like the end of a film. And the end of it, the string thing, um, the, the, these sort of melting strings that go down to a low note is straight from Mind the Sunshine, so it's another idea there that he's copped. Which makes a lot of sense, you know, because it's going into the fade from Mind the Sunshine, so he's re reusing the idea that came before that here. Yeah, it should also be mentioned that the, the strings here are basically imitating the backing parts on the verse, like the, the vocal arrangement, so if you need any more evidence that he was going to sing the verse over this. Yeah, kind of at the end of it, when it goes into the little horse clip-clop section, 
that's also basically bridge to Indians. I mean, like the same melody there. As well, Sunny Dan Snuff, the whole, I've been in this town so long to the city, I'm fit with the stuff to ride in the rough, and Sunny Dan Snuff, I'm alright. That is basically the first half of a verse, and then for the Smiley version, tagged on by the hero's and on the end of it. And then you've also, in the Smiley version, got this stand of all, I know there shall be peace in the valley, and it's all an affair of my life with the heroes and villains, which is the second half of a verse, filled in with like some la-la-las. So, you know, I think um, Pet Theory... Um, this is, I don't have pet sounds, I have pet theories, many of them, um, <laughs> that this was going to be, this was at one point, this was the final verse of the song and it was all one thing together. And if you put them together and read it out, it makes a whole lot of sense as a conclusion to this kind of ballad. Yeah. I mean, that standard fall verse lyrically seems like a conclusion to the song. I know it's on the middle of the smiley version, yeah. but it just seems like the ending. And I mean, by the title of this section, Prelude to Fade, you just you know this was going to come at the end at, and be followed by the fade-out in some way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you, le- if you read out the lyrics... To, I mean, if you listen to the music of Prelude to Fade, it's not quite the same as the barbershop um, smiley version thing. So the, the way the melody works around it is a little bit different. And um, I think we, we both agree that it probably would have at this point been just, I've been in this town so long to the city, and then Brian kind of changed it later like he did with the often wise to wise thing to kind of make it more kind of literal, I guess. I think just so long to the city is more more of a Van Dyke double entendre. But if you read them both together, um, I've been in this town so long to the city, I'm fit with the stuff to ride in the rough and sunny down snuff more right. Stand a fall, I know there should be peace in the valley and it's all an affair of my life with the heroes and villains. That's like a perfect ending. Like, it just makes sense that, that it was written that way and then chopped up later. Um, I'm about 90, 96% confident that I'd like stand in front of a laser that is getting closer and closer to my face um, on the basis that it was written that way. Uh, this is a weird analogy. I don't know why I've mentioned a laser. Uh, you know. <laughs> no, but, but, but I mean, you're right, because all the verses were written together, yeah. and what you have there are two half verses. One is the start, and one is the ending. So, I mean... With a slightly different melody line that would fit this, this um, all this kind of chord structure thing. Yeah, it's just that he never recorded it beforehand. So either on the same day or very soon after, we've got the Piano Diddy or Piano Theme, um, which is a new version of Bicycle Rider, now in the key of F sharp, which features the Worms Part 4 chord progression at the very end. So since Brian never used either of these sections in a new edit of the song, it's hard to say where this one would go. But the sparse instrumentation and the tonal center of F sharp indicate that it may well have ended up side by side with the cantina section. I I like this one a lot. I mean, 
It's very close to the key of Bicycle Rider, but he's finally recorded it in a way that it'll work in the song, which not really sure why he didn't just do that in the first place. Um, <laughs> seems like it would have solved a lot of problems. Yeah, this, this could have saved a lot of time. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not too different. It's got a nice, large, echoey feel like Bicycle Rider. You just don't have the guitar part. It's just Brian and Van Dyke on the pianos. Yeah, there's no harpsichord either. So it's like Bicycle Rider, but with the the Western motif of heroes and villains. Yeah, this certainly would have had vocals as well, just like Prelude, but it's just something that they never got around to doing. Um, and there's also like a long ending as well that he didn't use because they did um, 10 takes and then on the last take which he didn't mark as the best one take 8 was the master but take 10 has this long it's like oh god what's the kiss song again <laughs> it's just the same melody oh I was made for loving you So, so, yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's it's pretty cool. I kind of um, if you just added some more to this and with vocals, I might even prefer it to the final chorus. But again, we don't really know yeah. what it's going to do with it. I mean, I I like that long ending too. It's basically just the bass line from Bicycle Rider, which you know, there's no bass here, um, but with yeah. some different chords over it, and then it has a nice little ending, which I think would have sounded really cool with some vocals, but it ends mm. on like an a flat chord so i think i don't know maybe he was trying two variations that could go in different parts of the song different, maybe he was yeah. just kind of changing his mind on where it would go or maybe he didn't know uh, we can't say for sure i mean so these two like prelude to fade and piano theme or diddy or bicycle rider or chorus or whatever you want to call it i kind of like two companion sections and i don't i'm very very not on the team that these were b-side sections you know the way they were used in in like the sections mix and in the part two mix on the box set i think these were you know i think we all agree that these were expansions on the a side like just the final touches of the song to bring it up to the, and this would have been like the mythical like five or five and a half minute version as well i think that's kind of the length it gets to if you put these together like if you just have one bicycle rider yeah i think he was prelude pretty much um still wanted to do exactly what the february 10th mix did just kind of expand on it more and and make it longer and and give it a little more context. Either give it a chorus or a new bridge here. But I think this would have been maybe better than the single version. If you have everything that was in that that earlier mix with these two sections. I think that may have been just the best version he did. All right, moving into late February for some instrumental sections as well as the chants. On February 20th and the 21st, there are two dates here. Uh, one of them is just on the tape box, but with the amount of stuff they did, I think it must have been over these two days. The first chant that we think Brian worked on is the one that is the second in the sequence, the one that has the animal chants on the end, because it's um, in the session tape for it, which is just Brian on piano. It's the only one that's called part two without like a revised thing. So I think, you know, this was probably the first one that he did. And I don't think at this point it was a B-side or anything. I think it was like... 
I think at this point it was Brian changing his mind yet again with the main song and being like, okay, I'm not going to have the chorus or the bicycle rider thing. I'm going to have this instead as the part two. Or maybe this would replace Cantina or go before Cantina or one of a million things. So Brian puts down this piano track, and they also rehearsed this unrecorded acapella ending thing, which is really, really beautiful, and I wish it was done for the final song. I think it sounds great, they rehearse it. That just would have been incredible. I really like the way they, they sound on that, and it's a really beautiful arrangement. this now and get it right okay here we go from the top it goes so that so yeah so the brian puts down a piano track for that and then the overdub it which we'll talk about in a little bit about like the way it's put together and then the second one that we think was done was the one that's kind of like it's it's like a version of the bicycle rider theme but with just with major chords it's like a it's sort of twisted version of that which went on to become like the, the vegetables fade out and then the wonderful bridge after that so this started a whole other spin-off of different bicycle rider things Like it's the only time where Bruce plays an instrument that isn't like recorder on bag of tricks and the whole smile sessions. It's him on Bruce on tack piano and Brian on the grand piano. So again, it's kind of similar to that piano theme bicycle rider thing where it's the two pianos at once. It's the same sound, but just with, um, you know, like a, an altered sort of chord sequence. And then after that, on we think the 21st, which was a session with five Beach Boys, and Bruce wasn't on this one. So we think that's the date for it, where Brian. At some point, I think for these first two chants, he was maybe thinking about, like, there were two alternate versions of, of what could have been this new part two section that was, like, replacing or coming before Cantina. And then, like, he went to bed, woke up the next day and was like, oh, I've got an idea. I can turn this into, like, the B-side and finally, finally solve that problem. So he goes back and records G, which is also called part two revised. So even though it's the first one in the sequence, it's not, it's not the first one they recorded. And, um... Yeah, so this one has a part of G by the Crows at the start of it. It's not just a cover of G, it's basically just a quote from G. And then, at some point during this as well, he edits together like a sequence with three, these three chants that he's done so far and there's like a vintage Brian edit from from 1967 that puts these three in a sequence with some different vocal parts than the ones that are, are on the multi-track and at that point I think it, you know it must have been a B-song yeah. 
I think you're right that this was just kind of a separate thing for the B-side. Um, just kind of riffing on some ideas, which is a really cool idea. Just to kind of have like different variations on the same ideas on both sides of the single. And then they also record the fourth chant, which is called version four, part two. So we're sure that was the last one that was done. And this is the acapella one where they're all going dum, 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 and then like singing on top of that. All right, we go. (laughs) That was for you, punk. This was done for one of two reasons. It was either going to be... It could have either been like a fourth one in the sequence, like a fourth, you know, this, this thing was going to be four chants, like it's put together in the Heroes Part 2, like modern 2011 mix, or it would have been, I think it was maybe would have been a replacement for that Bicycle Rider version of the chant. Because if you get rid of that one, all three of them have got like a very unified theme of the going like dit, 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 heroes and villains and like the same bass vocal, sort of. And there's this odd one out in the middle of it. So I feel like it would have been three chants and this one replaced it. On the diminished. No, that's another one. That's at the very last part. That's what I understand. Why? I mean, just show me on the piano. I think I get a little bird. Just a tiny bit. Just a tiny bit. Do you lay out today? Make it perfect. Do you want to lay down a piano track to follow the time? No, let's just do the record. That'd be Let's try it this way one more time. One, two, it really does feel like an extended cut of Heroes and Villains, you know, like a bonus track almost, and um, kind of gives you more Heroes and Villains rather than just a completely new song. So on February 26th, that's when Brian like wrapped up the the B side. Well, what we think was the B side anyway. Like it's 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 the B side. Let's face it. He he sort of wrapped it up then, and then on one day later on the 27th, he like did a week long, like four days in a row of studio stuff where he just kind of. It basically started again, I think. You know, it's really weird, this this little run of sessions, because the session titles, like on, on the worksheets and on the AFM contracts, they're all called, like, Heroes and Villains Part 2, which is, um, you know, they've got a new master number and stuff, and it's, it, like, you know, there's a lot of suggestion that some, some people think, because the new master number and these, this title, that this was, this was the B-side, which I still, I can't wrap my head around why it would have been called that, but I just don't buy into this being the B-side, because it's... Brian basically remaking like sections from the A side of the song. It's like he's starting again from scratch, kind of. Um, and over this, over these four days, he redoes the chorus. He redoes the, the fade out. He redoes the verse. Like he like, all the way back from like October. He's doing that again. And then he does um, redoes the part three thing from December or January or whatever it was. And then there's like another mystery session. But some. Um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a very odd stretch of sessions. It's like the unraveling kind of. Yeah, this is like 
this is like those mid-June versions of Good Vibrations where he just said, we're redoing everything. But I haven't now thought it's, about that. Yeah, that's, that's a good comparison. <laughs> yeah, now it's happening to heroes. <laughs> we're rolling on sixth. So again, we have the bicycle rider chorus, but in a new key. Yeah, so he's like moved it down into a key that's actually going to just come right out of the verse um, and function with the rest of the song, which I think if he just, if he did that in the first place, he would have avoided all those little vocal sections, but it's very evil sounding. Yeah, much closer to the old bicycle rider than uh, the newer version with the uh, harpsichord and upright piano, and then also Lyle Ritz on that bass figure. It's really spooky. It's just like... Da, 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 da. Yeah, it's it's like kind of like that <laughs> earlier bass line, but faster and, and play with the bow, so it sounds like horror movie music. And then you've got... Yeah, the way he rattles it, it's like the mic, it's really close mic, but without a lot of bass end on it, so it kind of rattles and it's very yeah, spooky. Yeah, I love <laughs> it. And then you've also got all that percussion on top as well. Yeah, and then he redoes the fade as well, the sunshine fade but now it's properly just heroes and villains in a very very interesting arrangement it's very unusual it doesn't sound like heroes and villains it's it's a strange one it's very bouncy it's yeah it's very, it's, very creative i love it but. i love it too it, it is really bouncy like you said and it's 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 light and kind of airy kind of a little bit happier and then you've got you know carl singing in the in the studio as well uh live with the musicians okay i got it Perfect. Man, you're beautiful. Everything's great. Let's go. It's very, really, very nice. So, so the lineup here is uh, Van Dyke's on piano with the taped strings, the staccato thing. It's, he's playing this really sort of light, bouncy line. It's, it sounds, you know, it's, it sounds like plucked strings, but the piano's doing it. And he's also got plucked strings at the same time. It's a really cool part. I'm not hearing enough Van Dyke. Sounds like you're not playing as loud as you were before. And then got Lyle on the on the string bass is just thumping away like two notes. It's very well. He does a little run in the middle of, but it's it's a very just a thumpy track. And Nick Polico, percussion guy, is just on a snare drum. And at one point, Brian has him like do a bird whistle at the same time. It sounds pretty cool. It's like, but again, it sounds it sounds like more like My Only Sunshine Barnyard than it does Heroes. Like they should have swapped. <laughs> I think that yeah. would have worked. Um, and then there's also Jay McLeory and Tommy Morgan are doing the same clarinet um, harmonica stuff that they did on the first version. And then there's two violins and two violas doing like the pluck strings thing, just like in the other version as well. 
And this section as well is insane, like they do 20 takes and then Brian for no reason at all decides like, you know what, I don't like hearing 20 takes, I'm gonna say this is take one without changing anything. <laughs> so take five is the one they got, but it's really take 25. Um, and then after that they overdubbed a 12 string, a 12 string guitar, like a rhythm guitar, played by Van Dyke Parks of all people, who is a guitarist as well, like he talks about how with his brother he used to play like nylon string guitar in the coffee shops and stuff. And, um, so yeah, so Van Dyke plays, there's a photo of Van Dyke with Carl's Rickenbacker 12 string, and Brian's like on the floor, like, showing him like how to strum it while Van Dyke's holding the chords, and it's pretty cool. It just, don't know if it adds anything, but it's just <laughs> nice to know that Van Dyke played a, guitar, played a guitar on something. Next up is a remake of the verse. Yeah, so kind of the whole thing that was keeping all these different versions of Heroes and Villains together was the verse. I mean... It's the only part of the song that really made sense in those early versions. Um, and it was the only, you know, piece from the original song that still was hanging on. And, you know, after recording five, five, yeah, five different vocals on top of that, five different leads, and then you have all the backing vocals. At this point, he just decided, I'm going to redo that too. Like, we're just redoing everything here. I've, I've always said that like the hero's verse the thing that it's not necessarily a bad thing I think it it complements the imagery of the song but it's a very dull sound you know it's a thump it's like a bass and drum thing and the, the tack piano and the acoustic guitar that drive it along are very quiet in the mix they're sort of just there to like a sort of ghost image and I've always thought that Brian could have fixed that problem just by like adding some more like extra guitar or like piano or something to brighten it up and Brian kind of does that this time he has a much thicker rhythm section he's got like a piano, like a baritone ukulele, I think it has to be. That's the only thing that matches. It's not a tenor. Um, he's got an acoustic guitar. He's got like a Carl on, on a 12-string electric. All playing together to get like a much brighter, like well, just the chords, basically. It, it lifts them up in the arrangement. And yeah, for makes sure. Them central instead of it just being a bass and drums thing. And then he also has um, six-string bass and the same, the, the same uh, bowed bass fig, uh, figure, this time played by Chuck Berghofer. But it's a much, again, it's not as thick. He plays it like an octave up and stuff. And Hal's on drums doing the same thing. And it, it's weird, like, I, he's come all this way and then decided now to redo the verse. And, like, there's a whole load of rehearsal takes that are taped. They spent a lot of time working on this thing before Brian decided to actually record it properly and then just didn't, you know, didn't use the results of it. But they started off with Brian talking about how they wanted to try to like play it really fast in the key of E and slow it down three semitones back to C sharp to like put vocals over. Well we use what we call an oscillator, Brian. You can slow it down anywhere you want to and then speed it back up. I know that, Chuck. But I mean we have to how fast to play in the first place. I want you to record something now in this key, right? Alright, I'm recording. Alright, then take you got an oscillator here? And then speed it up to this. It's, it's like Carl singing live in the studio, he's just fishing for ideas at this point. It's just, it's a cool arrangement, like everything he did at the time, it is it, does, it is still good, but the energy is just not there. It sounds like the version they did in Hawaii, kind of, that rehearsal take. Yeah. And which is great for what, which is a really, really cool version of the song, but this is, 
like, it's March, what are you doing? Like, he's been working on this song since October, and now he's yeah, redoing the worst version of the verse. Eventually he realized that because he ended up throwing this away too, and just going back to that original verse when he finished up the song in June. And then finally we have what is known as intro or organ waltz. It's basically a remake of part three, that chimey thing. But this time it's an F, and it it's um, and this is what became the fire intro in in uh, 2004 and then in 2011. And it's this very it's it's like an even more sort of abrasive version of that. It starts out with just Brian rehearsing on organ, then rehearsing with with Brian on piano, and then the final take they do it with with Brian on piano, this um, left hand like up and down scale thing, and Bill Pittman on a fuzz guitar doubling that, and then Van Dyke just comes in an organ for the very end. Um, for this ending riff. So then the overdub is the main organ part, with Brian down on the floor on his hands and knees doing the pedals, and Van Dyke playing it. And then the overdub is six string bass, and then the overdub just this wall of like dissonant whistles and all this crap. Like you know, there's, there's five different whistles and like a ratchet, and it's it's Brian, Hal, Van Dyke, Diane's on there, um, Gene Estes, and uh, Bill Pittman also stayed around for it. Bizarre. More bag of tricks. Yep. Yeah, it's more bag of tricks, really. It's again yep. incorporating that, like he did with the whistle bridge into that part, that part two chant. This is bag of tricks into this. This was used as a fire intro um, on Brian Wilson presents Smile and on the Smile sessions, um, but it was you know released before as Heroes of Villains intro on the Good Vibrations set. But Will and I figured out it's actually not. The heroes villains intro either. Um, oh, we think anyway. Box says very properly. <laughs> we think. We think. <laughs> Could be, but unlikely, because the tape box says heroes and villains intro, but that tape box actually contains this and the uh, the verse remake, which was done on the same day. And since the verse remake is you know the start of the song, the intro, the, uh, yeah, and you know takes up the majority of that of that session, we think that that's what the intro was referring to and this was just kind of a experimental thing at the end uh we don't know where it was going to go if it was like another part three that would come after the the first chorus or whatever but you know probably not an intro or at least the the intro tag isn't isn't correctly used on the box set but using it as the fire intro is one of those retroactive things that i'm completely okay with because it makes perfect sense Uh, i don't think for a minute that brian ever planned to do it back then but it's just you know, it works really, really well, and I'm glad. Oh, that yeah. I, I love it in Fire. Yeah, if Brian ever got around to Finishing Smile, I'd be like, hey, do that, but it's not something that was planned originally. And then after this as well, on March 2nd, there was one more session for Heroes, which was just called Part 2 Insert, like the other ones were. You know, the Fade Out was called Part 2 Insert. Don't read much into the Part 2 or the Insert, because it never, it never adds up to what you think. And this was another session at Weston, which had Hal Blaine, Gene Estes, Carol Kay, and Lyle Ritz. And there's no tape for this one. This is a, another mystery lost session that, you know, if there's anything that they recorded, we can't figure out that anything that matches up with it. And maybe the tape's lost, or maybe it was one of those ones where Brian kind of rehearsed something with the musicians and said, you know, this isn't working, I'm not going to record it. Go home, take your pay. Um, well, I don't know, maybe not, because it's 1pm to 4pm, which means they went into like an hour's overtime. So the, they're working on something for a while here. Um, and yeah, then it just 
then it just ends. Yeah, that's the end of the Heroes and Villains sessions until he picked it back up uh, that summer at his home studio. But uh, at this point, he kind of focuses everything on finishing vegetables. Um, but yeah, kind of starting to see everything fall apart here. So in February of 1967, um, Tracy Thomas had a piece uh, called America Calling. And it says, the Beach Boys' next single, Heroes and Villains, will be released as soon as Brian Wilson decides on the B-side. Brian told me this week, I'm doing the final mix on the A-side tonight, but I can't decide what to do for the other side. The easiest thing to do... The easiest thing would be to pull something off Pet Sounds, but I feel like that would be cheating the record buyers. On the other hand, I want to keep as much of Smile a surprise as possible. I may end up just recording me and a piano. I tried it last night in the studio. It would be an interesting contrast anyway. Heroes and Villains is similar to Good Vibrations in that it has several different sections, but there's a more driving beat behind it. There's definitely a strong Old Western flavor. Van Dyke Parks collaborated on the lyrics with me. Brian's very enthusiastic about the new Beatles single, Penny Lane, but hasn't heard Strawberry Fields forever yet. It isn't played much on local radio. But his favorite single is Spencer Davis's smash hit, Give Me Some Lovin'. He said that the performing Beach Boys, currently on an Eastern tour until the 25th, are very anxious to tour Europe with the Spencer Davis group. The next Beach Boy album, Smile, is not planned for release until spring. So Brian did hear Strawberry Fields forever, one night, Brian and I were driving to Dolores's for him to get burgers and fries and pie. And he turned on the radio and something came on from the Beatles. I was on second all, you know, those kind of pills, downers. And I was real relaxed when Strawberry Fields came on the radio. I like locked in with it. I like, I, I locked right in with it and like took me, I had to pull over my car over to the side, listen to it and I said, I've never heard anything like this in my life. And he just shook his head and he said, they did it already. And I said, they did what? And he said, what I wanted to do, smile. You know, maybe it's too late. I mean, it came out on the 13th of February and he's in yeah. doing Prelude to Fade two days later. So there's definitely, it's definitely around this time. I mean, with everything he was doing at the minute, you feel like he's just, like he's going down the rabbit hole, doing more and more, more and more fragments. He's let smile slide. It's been on the back burner pretty much since December. And he's not putting any focus yeah. on finishing this album. And this single just doesn't make any sense. And like, you know, he's had Good Vibrations, which is a big hit, but Heroes and Villains in its like current form, which does not make any sense as like a hit single at the time. Mm -hmm. the, the thing I think is that it doesn't have any like color, which is good for what the song's trying to do. It's like a Western thing, but it's not like, it, it's like a sort of rusty, rusty brown and, <laughs> you know, you picture a sort of this old Western scene and it doesn't fit in with contemporary whatever was on the radio and then the lyrics as well the whole western marty robbins thing it just didn't really what what brian wanted was he musically he liked paul mccartney the most but lyrically i think he really wanted a john lennon you know someone who could like have that sort of intellectual kind of like high class lyrical thing but could also relate to people and i think that strawberry fields more than anything musically probably just made him realize that like he was going down the wrong path and this wasn't going to communicate with people and it's not going to what they liked about good vibrations is not what they'd like about this so he was in the habit of getting all the support and cooperation he needed he didn't get the support that he could have used 
I think the issue isn't what he needed or could have used, but I think the question is that he didn't get what he should have had. And that bugged him deeply. Yeah, I think what he really needed was was someone like Carl or maybe Van Dyke. Or a George along. Martin. I mean, yeah. he needed somebody who could call the shots. I mean, he was Not just... like a producer as in like an arranger or anything, but just someone to like bounce off and say, okay, this is done. Like, right. we move on to this. Like, Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I think the, Be- the Beatles were, you know, they as much as they were kind of growing apart and doing things on their own in different ways, they had each other to kind of keep keep everybody on the same page. And I don't think the I don't think the Beach Boys had that kind of relationship with Brian at this point. They just showed up and said, "Okay, what are we doing today?" They worked really well as a unit. The Beatles did, yeah. but with Brian, it's just kind of like he'd go to his friends and say, "Hey guys, I'm going to try this," and they'd say, "Okay, good." And, and he didn't have his. I mean, yeah, he didn't have his dad anymore to you know to say, true, "Look, this yeah. is a hit. This isn't a hit. This yeah. isn't working." He didn't have the pressure, you know, like you said. He, he basically had this record that was still on the charts, still still doing well. And, you know, they just thought, okay, he's going to do this again. He's going to give us another good vibrations. And Beach Boys are going to go out and tour and everything's going to be great. Um, mm. But, yeah, I mean, he was dealing with a lot of, you know, internal struggles and uh, a lot of bad stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, he's working like a frenzy and he's working into a frenzy with all this hero stuff. But I was just kind of thinking like, you know, before we're on the leading up to recording this, the whole Beatles comparison thing as well. I mean, if you look at like Sergeant Pepper as a sort of example to compare, like the sort of working environment, it's like you've got the studio, EMI Studios, which is the label studio. They do everything there. All the tapes are kept there. They can work as long as they want, any hours. George Martin is kind of there to bounce ideas off and, you know, call in musicians if they need them or whatever the engineering team, which was like Jeff Emmerich, Richard Lush and Phil McDonald were all on the same page. And, you know, they're all, they're all part of a team basically. And the group themselves, they're all on the same page. They're all in tune with each other. They can all contribute to arrangements and all this stuff. Um, and basically it's like a team of people all working to one common goal. And it's a very like productive, creative atmosphere. But with Brian, he was doing absolutely everything. And it's like, he was trying to make, you know, he had his friends who would jump and do whatever he wanted, but they're not musical collaborators with him. We tried to get that out of Van Dyke at first. When they started writing together, it sounds like it was a very kind of productive, healthy thing. But as soon as they started going into studios and the other guys come back, and it's not just the two of them anymore, Van Dyke kind of ceded his role as like this active collaborator with Brian to just a lyricist. Like he kind of stepped yeah. back and said, I can see there's something not quite right here, so I'm just going to step back and say my job is the lyricist and I'm not going to overstep any boundaries because I don't want to cause trouble. But Brian obviously, you know, wanted Van Dyke around as much as possible because he needed that someone to bounce something off. Brian made it clear to me that he wanted to do something without restraint or apology or explanation to the rest of the group. And um, he honestly felt that I was a big enough uh, guy to handle the door. There's no question of that. I wasn't a big enough guy. I mean, it, w- it would have been early March or late February or something, where Brian, in an interview, said that like he's he feels like he's losing his talent and he's working harder than ever before, but getting less and less satisfaction with with recording. And um, you know, he's definitely talking about heroes and villains and listening to all of these things. I mean, yeah, it's he just he kept going and going and going and spurred on probably by Strawberry Fields Forever, and then just found he'd lost touch with 
whatever inspired the song in the first place and it would take like a two month you know a three month time off break until he could finally reconnect with it and figure out a way to do the song that would make him happy I was on a slow downhill slide at that time and I kept sliding and sliding and sliding until I came to a stop All right, so we're going to wrap up today, and um, I know I have, but I know I hope a lot of people have gotten a better grasp on the journey that Heroes and Villains went on, which, in my opinion, is kind of the longest journey of a song that the Beach Boys ever went on, even more than Good Vibrations, um, with lots of turns and twists and dead ends. Um, and we will conclude that saga when we get to Smiley Smile. But uh, what are we going to talk about next? The elements. Well, you, you know how you know how in that one time where I was like, next time we're going to do Cavern Essence, so I'll play part of it on a banjo is like a hint. I just picked up a guitar and I was like, well, how the hell am I going to play fire? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this, 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 is, this is fire. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Hey, I think I can play fire. Thanks as always, Will. Thanks, John, <laughs> for helping me out with this stuff. Thank you. All right. (laughs) Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you guys for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed that. I learned a lot. Thank you to Will and John for being patient with me. I feel like I know what Brian Wilson was going through somewhat, trying to string all these little pieces together. Thanks to Steve Bonilla, as always. Thanks to all our patrons. I'm really appreciative that you guys are still hanging with us. I'm looking forward to what's coming next. Love and mercy, guys. Sail on, sailors. Yeah, back in 2018, I was busy breaking down Car Crazy Cutie, so I didn't have time to <laughs> get too deep into that box set, but I'm looking forward to it maybe next year. Five